This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Welcome to Hitting the Mark. Today we go beyond meat. Yes, there was a brand hint, and not only do we go beyond beef, but also butter, cheese, chicken, ice cream, seafood, and yogurt. Today we are diving into the future of food through the development of replacements to animal protein products. I first read about Chris Kerr in the Good Business issue of Bloomberg Businessweek way back in December 2018, which dedicated four entire pages to his story, which is quite an accomplishment. And as sometimes is the case, good things take time. But today he is on my show, and I couldn't be any more honored to have him here. Chris is the chief investment officer at New Crop Capital and has nearly 30 years of leadership experience with startups and venture capital investing. He has spent the last decade focused on impact investing with a concentration on the plant-based foods sector. As CIO, Chris manages the portfolio strategy and serves as a strategic advisor to most portfolio companies. Chris also serves as co-CEO and chair of GoodCatch, managing member of Trellis New Endeavors, director of Purple Carrot and Next Food, uh, Next Food and observes Miyoko's Kitchen. Additionally, Chris is a director at Univis Partners, Cerebellus, Wicked Healthy, Math Garden, Pitcairn Financial Group, and Anarch Corporation. How does he do it all? I do not know. And how does he find time to talk branding with us here is less mystery than it is a testament to his dedication to the cause and to fellow entrepreneurs. With that being said, welcome, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to a, a lively conversation. Oh, it's a, it's a pleasure. You say lively conversation because you and I chatted before and I know you only got two hours of, of sleep. So first off, congratulations. What a, what a day. For, for my listeners, we're recording this show on May 3rd, 2019, which happens to be the day after Beyond Meat went IPO in what must have gone well beyond the wildest expectations with stock trading at nearly triples from the original IPO price. This also marks a first for a company making meat-like products from plants. So that, that's a pretty big thing to hit, uh, to hit the stock market. Um, Chris, Beyond Meat is a poster child of your investment portfolio, and it also is an industry-daring darling, I would say. What, what does this day mean to you? What does it mean to the industry as a whole? Well, you know, my wife and I talked about this yesterday, and my other business partner, Chad Sarno, who's a, a chef in this space, um, and I would put this down as the single greatest day in, in the entire time I've been working in this space. Uh, I, got, I got into this area. I'm an animal guy. I love animals, enough suffering in the world. Uh, I figured let's, let's, let's try to take some of my abilities and, and work on putting them towards uh, solutions to solving what we consider to be uh, a crisis. And uh, when we started this um, effort, it was really around 2005. In 2007, I went to work for the Humane Society of the United States, uh, trying to bring solutions to solve some of the things that they were working on. And at the time, you know, Beyond Meat was a little company called uh, J Green Foods. Uh, the business plan was um, 
very typical uh, first business plan for a company, which uh, uh, if, if you're smart, a lot of uh, founders will throw those away uh, as quickly <laughs> as possible. Um, and the company really evolved uh, from really this startup mode, but it was a time when um, Silicon Valley was just starting to pay attention to this particular space. And what we didn't know at the time was where this would go. And so uh, back in 2007, 2008, when I started this, really it was very hard to get anybody to pay attention to what we were doing. The, the markets had collapsed. Uh, nobody really wanted to take uh, any venture capital investments, let alone vegan food. Good Lord, nobody thought that there was anything to do there. Um, and so to have this culminate from that, um, which was really kind of grabbing at straws, hoping something something could evolve into, into a disruptive technology, to an IPO that then just outperformed everyone's expectations. Um, and I got to tell you, that was only one of three amazing things that happened yesterday. I can't talk too much about the other three. Uh, but I can just tell you that the world has completely shifted uh, from the days of J. Green Foods uh, to what is now Beyond Meats IPO and the fact that virtually every major strategic uh, uh, food conglomerate out there is paying, sitting up and paying really big attention to this space. And I have to say, I'm delighted that I happen to have stuck it out this long. <laughs> so well, it's really and you played quite an integral part of this whole of this whole thing not only beyond meat but but of the entire um as, as i guess we can call it now of, 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 the, of the movement that that really like you said just happened in the last couple of years where it really started seeing an impact um so congratulations it's really it's it's, it's really big stuff well thank you like i said um uh Time, luck, circumstance, uh, sometimes just being in the right place for long enough, something's going to hit you. What's the saying? Uh, every Even a broken clock is right two times a day. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> very very modest of you <laughs> so um so so just the other the other week I, th I think it was last week actually i listened to our local npr station um here here in uh, in los angeles kcaw and i caught beyond meat founder ethan brown taking us through a behind the scenes tour of the factory and it, and it was it was really really fascinating um i'm i'm a big fan of the product and saw a lot of people all over the world i think you know but by, by now their their plant-based burger patties are being sold in in the meat section which in in it by itself is, is such a huge accomplishment um in about yeah. thirty thousand stores and and it's in burger king <laughs> it's in calls jr del yeah. taco and uh and i even spotted it at dodger stadium here in here in la so the startup was founded in 2009 that's when you that's when you you know were involved with them and um and you know the, the, the petty started hitting stores really in 2016 and i mean it's 2019 now so this is this is not like actually going to market it has not been has not been you know too long of uh, of of a distance to ipo i mean that's pretty that's pretty crazy um and the brand also has some even higher profile investors <laughs> than yourself. Uh, there's there's Bill Gates, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, and former McDonald's CEO Don Thompson. When I heard about this, this is this this yeah. this basically underlines what you just said, right? The world is changing. Um, and just yeah. recently, they secured the CFOs of Coca Cola and Twitter to be on the board of directors. So, with Beyond Meat, when did the team start to actively invest either time or money into, into brand strategy or into defining the voice or, or actually the design? Do you feel it was a conscious decision from day one or, or was it something that kind of like happened over time? 
It happened over time, but you know, a lot of these companies don't get it right, right out of the gate. Like I said, the company was started as, as J Green Foods. It became Savage River Foods, which was the name of a river uh, that ran through uh, Ethan's uh, Brown's uh, home property in Maryland. Um, you know, it, was, it, it had to evolve. And so branding was really interesting and, and positioning is really important too. Um, right. I'm not an expert in any of this, by the way. Usually this type of thing happens way above my pay grade. Um, and in this case, uh, it's, it's no exception. Um, what we look at in our investment portfolios, we, we focus on what I refer to as the food pact. Uh, you, you may have heard of me talk about this in the past, but you know, we, we make decisions on food based on four, the efficiency of four key levers. It's taste, awareness, um, convenience, and price. And um, we looked at, even if you look at kind of the evolution of Beyond Meat, uh, you know, Part of it, you know, they came to market with a chicken. Uh, it was it was a pretty good chicken. It was gluten free, but it arguably wasn't the best on the on the market. Uh, Gardein was out there. Uh, it was a great product, uh, but it had wheat gluten in it. So so Beyond Meat said, let's try something a little bit different. They went with, with a pea protein, which really kind of changed the, the 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 focus towards pea protein. That was an early adopter of it. So their positioning uh, really tied to that brand of, of uh, their branding tied to that positioning of who are they going to and why. Um, and so when you look at uh, your customer, first of all, I, I, got, I just got to focus on this. Taste is the most important thing by far. Right. Uh, we always start with chefs. So in every case, chefs have to play a role in that. So when we start, when New Crowd looks at a company, we always say, look, if we can get the taste right, the other things will slowly start to fall in place. If you miss taste, the rest is irrelevant. Uh, and so when you look at Beyond Meat, they didn't start off uh, really with chefs in there. Uh, uh, we put a chef in there, a guy named uh, David Anderson, who's arguably one of the best um, plant-based chefs on the, on the planet. And he really helped them kind of refine um, some of their, some of their products, uh, in the kind of in the mid range there about five, six years in, he started helping with that. Uh, the beyond burger, it came later, right. And that was really just, uh, I'll say this about food companies. Uh, there's no such thing as an overnight success with food. Mm -hmm. uh, most companies don't get it right, right out of the gate. Um, if you look at a good example is uh, silk soy milk, which everybody now knows, but that's a 40 year old company. And it was, it was 20 years in before it invented, you know, white waves silk. Wow. So a lot of these companies take a little bit of time. So what looks like overnight successes was in fact, a lot of trial and error ahead of that. And I don't think, you know, beyond meets really much of an exception to that. Uh, they had some good products early on, but not enough to be groundbreaking. And it wasn't until the beyond burger came out that it really hit that inflection point. And that just takes time sometimes. Um, and what they really did do is they, they really changed who the consumer was of this product. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the branding, the branding was not tied towards, you know, your early adopter vegans, um, early adopter vegans are, um, uh, they're very principled. They're very loud. They love to talk about their findings. They have an enormous price elasticity. Um, they actually have, they're very forgiving around taste. Um, as you move out of that very small niche, which like I said, is, is really critical to launching these companies. But as you move outside of them, your branding has to reflect what that consumer wants. And Beyond Meat really followed that path in a really good way where they, they understood the early adopters. They absolutely never violated the principles of those early adopters. That's really critical because they will turn on you if you do. Um, so you, 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 you uh, respect the early adopters principles because they do a lot of work for you. And you, and you build that in as the baseline to how you build your branding from there on out. And I think that Beyond Meat just did an exceptional job of that. They never violated those principles. 
they were questioned about them. I think if you um, bring on Tyson as an investor or, 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 or put on a, an ex-McDonald's uh, CEO in the mix, uh, some of those people will question that. But Ethan was, was spot on in saying, look, if we really want to help the cause, if, if, if whether it's health is your driver or environment, sustainability, animal protection, welfare, you name it, um, everybody gets served by this if it can hit the mass market. And so we really shifted that focus to addressing, you know, kind of the, the meat reducers, the flexitarians, and um, that Beyond Burger is a bullseye. Sorry for the pun, but it's it's a bullseye for it. <laughs> you look at that inflection point, I think going forward in history, you're going to see uh, everybody's game just got stepped up quite a bit. And uh, consumers are by far um, one of the biggest beneficiaries of that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I looked at I looked at how the company is currently, you know, using key opinion leaders or influencers, and th they're not at all the typically associated with the industry type uh, influencers, right? Like, you know, as, as you as you mentioned, it's it, the company knew very quickly that they have to go in order to go mainstream America, they need to get mainstream America, like athletes and diverse people, you know, like guys flipping a burger in the backyard, right? That's the right. kind of people that that they want to get and forming that narrative must have been such a huge important part of changing customer behavior so um yeah i mean well well done and i i also think about the packaging design right which is so crucial to to any you know uh, big big box retail you know uh, company brand and beyond meat it's something that I believe, I do not know, but I believe it must have played a big role in its success outside of having a great product with an equally convincing story is that it created packaging that actually looked like typical burger patty packaging. It was like shrink wrap, it was see-through, yeah. and that was a far fetch from the typical, you know, like green cardboard boxes <laughs> associated with vegan sure. vegan products, which in yeah. itself are already pretty, pretty off putting were you part of that that time already like did you witness that part of their story when they, where they said let's let's just let's just package it like meat let's try to get into the meat uh, you know section of of of, of the markets was that already part of that uh, well, I think uh, early on, um, but they're not actually the first one to try to get into the to the meat section. You know, Gardein did it early on. Kite Hill did it with their cheese in the dairy aisle. Uh, the problem is that early adopters don't walk into that. So that those who are who are the most, um, I will say, the loudest, uh, don't actually walk into those sections. Right? That's that's your your kind of vegan early adopters. So it didn't do great when Beyond Meat came out. Um, two important things happened. One was that the, the, the market had kind of shifted towards being a lot more open towards these types of products. But the other part is that, it, that this product was good enough to actually reside there. So once you hit that, that threshold of you can actually stand next to a burger and it be darn close to parity on, on taste and price, uh, then the convenience kind of falls into place and the awareness kicks in. And I, and I think Beyond Meat really had hit that sweet spot there. Uh, you know, Gardein uh, was in uh, the deli section of Whole Foods probably in 2008, 2000, yeah, 2008, 2009. Um, it did okay, but not great. Um, Kite Hill, you know, it was their, their, their non-dairy cheese was buried in a very complex uh, uh, cheese, uh, high-end cheese aisle that was very hard to find. So when the vegans went looking for it, that, that wasn't an area that they went to. When Beyond Meat came along, um, like I said, there was enough awareness about the product that it was happening. Plenty of marketing dollars went into that, but the merchandising was really critical. 
and, and letting consumers know where to look uh, certainly mattered. It certainly mattered. So I think Whole Foods, by the way, has just been really critical in helping helping shape um, the merchandising so the early adopters can transition into the mainstream. And so what they will do is they'll put you in um, what we might call the penalty box, which is where all the vegan food goes. Uh, <laughs> but they'll also put you in the deli. They'll all put you in the in the in the, um, in the uh, prepared foods aisle. In the case of Beyond Meat, they actually opened up a burger stand right in the middle of Whole Foods in Boulder, Colorado, that served just the Beyond Burger. And that was a guy named Derek Sarno, who's one of our partners. Uh, he's a chef who was the global um, uh, executive global chef for Whole Foods. Uh, that was his concept, and it you know it worked. It allowed people to trial the product, to demo it, to understand what it tastes like, how do you prepare it, uh, is it different than than real meat. And so most of these products, like we have a company called Good Catch. Good Catch, it makes a tuna fish. And, and there's there's two questions that are asked right out of the gate. Um, what does it taste like and how do I use it? Price isn't asked. Um, nutrient value isn't asked. People are curious about it, but those are the first two things they want to know. So when it comes to positioning and merchandising, you, you solve those two first things. And sometimes you need someone to demonstrate it to you. And that's, that's quite frankly where um, – you know, Whole Foods has just been outstanding in helping not just Beyond Meat, but all sorts of products um, help to do that. So, it, it it seems like it's the it's the good old Costco trick, right? I mean, you 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 show them you show them how it's made right there, and then you and then people get to taste it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, merch it's yeah, merchandising expensive. I mean, uh, you know, we vegans walk by tons of tasting stands because we just assume that that. You know, we yeah. can't eat it. I have a funny story about Just Just Mayo was doing demos in stores and um, people would walk up and they'd say, what are you serving? They say, well, this is vegan mayo. And the answer was, uh, I'm not vegan. No, no, thank you. As though only vegans could eat this mayonnaise. Of course, you know, Fritos are vegan. We don't ask whether or not, you know, they're vegan. Anybody can eat a Frito. Um, and so I think that merchandising is, is really critical in, in getting consumers to understand where they fit in the equation. Um, and, you know. If it's somebody who's lactose intolerant, yeah, you're going to want to try the newest um, non-dairy milk. Um, if it's somebody who's got allergens to soy, yeah, you might want to try something that that a meat that isn't made out of wheat meat that or a uh, meat analog that's not made out of made out of wheat. That type of stuff is is quite relevant, um, and I think that those those demos are really really important. Right. No. Absolutely. Um. I think. I think, Chris. Um. Uh, one of the one of the most insightful uh, things I learned when I read the business, uh, the Bloomberg business uh, article about you was that you have nine cats, and I think some of them are starting to uh, want to participate in this story too. They they said, "I don't yeah, only want to be in Bloomberg. I want to be here yeah. too." <laughs> it's actually the cat that was in Bloomberg is the one oh, that really? said the the door so yeah. I, think, I think it's because of the name that you have given the cat um it feels like i i think it's a it's a it's claire de lune or something like that it's a very french name i think yeah uh, she's normally sits on my desk here so uh, oh, oh, oh it's her it's her business day has started it's like hey it's nine it's 9 a.m what's going on <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 that's great. Hey, um, so looking back at, 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 at the success of, of Beyond Meat, and there's no better day than, than, you know, today on May 3rd to talk about this. When did you think, and we already touched on a couple of these, but when did you think, when did you know that, that, this, that this is going to turn from a startup into a brand? Like, when did you feel that, not, not when you tasted it or when you said, this is, this is going to be insanely good, people are going to love this, but from, from a marketing perspective, like, when did you feel like, okay, something right now just shifted and this is going to be a brand? 
when they really rallied, well, when they, quite frankly, when they settled on the name Beyond Meat, um, that was when the real marketing push came. And it had to do with how they were positioning it to the, to, to the consumer base that went well outside of um, our vegan world. That, that shift really kind of said um, to the early adopters, thank you for your service. You've been phenomenal. Let's take it to the next level. And, and I, you know, that happened actually pretty early on. That wasn't, I think uh, the company started, when we started working on 2008, 2009, it was probably around 2012 that that name was adopted and then put into play. And, you know, prior to that, they were really focusing on food service and, um, you know, the name Savage River wasn't something that, that, that they were doing much with. Uh, I think by the time they came up with Beyond Meat, they thought, okay, now, now we have something to rally around. And uh, that's pretty critical. Absolutely. And, and that name was, was created by an agency with, with help or was that internally uh, crafted? Um, I believe it was internally crafted. Uh, Beyond Eggs was out at the time. Uh, oh, they were okay. just getting started. And so Hampton Creek had kind of come up with, with the idea of using something along the lines of Beyond. Uh, Beyond Meat was at the same time. Uh, Hampton Creek moved over. Uh, well, they created Hampton Creek and then Just um, Beyond Meat was this was a guess a good fit for them so that's ex extremely refreshing to hear that, that that a name was kind of like that propeller into that next phase of the company and where yeah. you felt like now it's a brand um but veganism it, it as a whole as a brand changed tremendously from you know not so tasty to incredibly cool in fact it also turned quite important given climate change right which which is one yeah. of the big big reasons you're in this business and and yeah. yes it also morphed into a very tasty food option but most of the brands in your portfolio are also extremely design focused, I, I, I realized. So, you know, the dairy free butter brand Fora, which I can't wait to get my hands on, <laughs> but also your other investment firm, Universe Partners. It seems like branding and design is, is always top of mind for you and many of your brands. Did, what, what does branding mean to you, you know, either personally or, or to your industry as a whole? I mean, obviously, with Beyond Meat, we get a pretty good sense of what it, what it can do. Yeah, honestly, it's absolutely critical. You think about it, it's communication, right? At the end of the day, you, you want to very quickly communicate to a consumer um, what it is you do. And if you can get that in the brand, I think plenty of people overthink or they try to be creative with brands and it just can kind of flop. Um, a, a really good brand matters uh, because it really is that flashpoint uh, around decision-making. You know, again, you go back to the, to the, the food pact, uh, you know, awareness is is critical i use this example if you're if you are uh in a desert dying of thirst crawling along the sand and there is a, a body of water over a hill if you don't know it's there you're still going to die of thirst and awareness is really around what what is it that you're that a, a brand or that a company's trying to, co to convey to you so you need to know where it is what to look for and then be able to make a rather quick decision around why you might want to buy it so clearly this, there's an industry around that that's no surprise there I think when you have an innovative product that's new to the sector, uh, that's novel, disruptive, and consumers don't quite know what to do with it, you better get that brand right. And you can't be too cheeky, uh, too many plays on words, that kind of stuff. You don't want to conf confuse the consumer in the process. And so I think Beyond Meat really hit, hit a good stride there. Um, there's a couple other ones that did a good job. They didn't have a lot of professional help, but Daya is another company that just people kind of knew what it was right out of the gate. It was it was dairy, but not quite dairy. Uh, Silk, perfect example. Silk soy milk, uh, a grand slam. People pretty much knew it's so silk. It's soy milk, mm -hmm. and that, you know you think about that when when it comes to identity to the consumer. 
there's not a lot of confusion for the consumer. And ultimately, I think that that when it comes time to making kind of very quick decisions, impulse decisions, uh, the difference between a good brand and a bad brand is going to be the difference between a sale or a pass. And uh, the ones that are successful, they know how to really, really run with it. So, so at what time in, in, in that startup journey with your portfolio companies, at what time do you advise those companies to actually like invest in branding? Day one. Day one. Uh, good Catch is a great example. We, we knew that we could get a formula. We, knew, we didn't know what we were going to do in seafood. Uh, we just knew that we were going to get into the seafood space. We had started the company from scratch. Uh, we work with a branding agency. Um, the, the brand is what we built the company around. So coming up with the name Good Cash really set in motion exactly what that company was going to do and why. Uh, with that, we can fill in the blanks pretty much in any direction we want. Now, if we had come up with something that was that was cheeky or confusing, uh, you know, a rebrand is incredibly expensive. Yeah, Nobody wants to go through that. So to spend an extra, you know, Twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars on an early brand saves you upwards of several million later in the game, and not to mention a failed start, which is the worst possible outcome. So uh, I recommend, by all means, don't just come up with a name between you and your founders and think that it's great. Test it, put it in front of groups. Uh, there's great organizations that will actually do concept testing for you. New Hope is one of them that's in the natural product space. That you know for very little amount of money. You can test a couple concepts and, and see how uh, consumers, uh, how it resonates with consumers. Spend that money. Uh, to nickel and dime that early stage is the is arguably a, a, a death knell for a company uh, if you get it wrong. Amen. It's also very, a very, a very uh, tough pill to swallow for a lot of bootstrapped, you know, early stage, yes. early stage founders. But in the food industry, you you basically cannot be too bootstrapped in order to make it to the market. So, well, also, you know, don't don't. Um, I really encourage people to not fall in love with their with their own, you know, branding. Like it's easy to do. You you feel like it becomes part of your own personal identity. You came up with it, or your family did. Um, it really is important to, to relay a message to the consumer, not to your sister. And I, and I think <laughs> at the end of the day, a good brand will reach a really wide swath of the world and tell them exactly what it is you're doing. And, and that's, that's pretty, pretty critical. You know, Chris, this is how I start pretty much every speech uh, to to entrepreneurs, and I tell them this is this everything you do right now is not about you. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's about exactly. them. Right? Well said. Well said. Yeah. Ego can really get in the way of these. You know, one of the things that we do with 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 the companies that we start up with, our, our job is commercialization. And part of that commercialization is, is an education around uh, the branding side of it. So if you look at the new crop um, team, we're actually made up of a whole bunch of entrepreneurs. Uh, people have started companies before. One of our guys, uh, Dan Altshuler, used to run a branding agency. Uh, it's, what he, it's what he did. We have another uh, woman, Laura Zame, who uh, helps us put together the decks because um, quite frankly, selling selling investors on it is very similar to selling a product you know you need to sell them on the concept and they need to be able to understand it quickly so that starts at the design phase not by the time you're hitting the shelves but at that point it's too late and yeah. so you know absolutely you need to you need to think of it from the ground up any any piece of brand advice for founders as a final takeaway? I know you already dropped uh, a lot of them. Um, any anything that, that that you didn't share with us yet as we come to a close? Test, 
test, test, and then test again. And by the way, the world isn't static. You know, when we launched Good Catch, uh, we did testing on words for our packaging and two years later, the entire market is shifted and we need to test it again. So um, by all means, the consumer changes, um, consumer perception changes, the markets change. Uh, don't be afraid to change with them. Uh, your job there is to uh, get consumers to understand what you're doing. Um, and the other part of it is test your products, try new things. And at the end of the day, don't be a believer in your own stuff. Um, you need to actually rely on the broader community to help you with that. The good news is they are do delighted to help, uh, particularly the early adopter world where I come from. Um, uh, vegans love to try new food. And when they find something great, they are incredibly loud about it. Um, be partners with them in that and, and allow them to test as well. And I think everybody can have fun with it when you're testing new things. So I, I, it's not a challenge, it's a joy. And I think if you look at that from that perspective, uh, everybody gets to have fun with it. Fantastic advice. What's, what's still untapped in the plant-based market? I mean, is there, is there something you're excited about that you'd love to see a team create or something you'd be excited to invest in next? Or is this all beyond, beyond not beyond meat, but beyond closed doors? <laughs> Well, we're, so we've, we've now hit pretty much every area out there. Uh, we're working on, um, you know, pork still hasn't been done well, but that's, and that's a massive market, as you can imagine. Right. Uh, we're working on some things there. Uh, pork is, 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 is in huge, in huge demand and there's lots of issues surrounding oh. pork and, and, and there's a shortage and God knows what, right? So there's a, there's a huge need for it. Too. Yeah. China alone is, I mean, it's just, right. so here, here's what's uh, both sad and exciting. Uh, the meat, dairy, eggs, and uh, seafood markets over a trillion dollars, and we are just, just, just getting in there. We're a rounding error in that. So the opportunities are global, they are massive, and they are urgent. And you put those things together and create a little bit of R&D around that. Um, these are going to be exciting times. Give us another decade. Look what happened with, with the Beyond Burger and the Impossible Burger just in the last two years. They just got onto the map on a on – a, on an industry that's, you know, a couple million years old at this point yeah. <laughs> since we started eating animals. Uh, this is going to be very, very exciting ride. And I would say collectively, if you, if you ignore the marketing side, collectively, R&D in the plant-based meat world and dairy, I would argue, uh, is less than $100 million in the history of it that they've actually put into the R&D side of it. The more money that flows into that, you're going to see some absolutely phenomenal outcomes. And I, I, I would imagine the next decade is going to be spectacular for consumers, for animals, for the environment. Everybody's going to win and it's going to be a fun, fun time. And I think on that note, I want to thank you, Chris. It was it was impeccable for you to make it onto hitting the mark the day after the big IPO. I so appreciate the time you took away from doing press or or, or simply celebrating on this huge day. Um, thank you. It, it's a huge day for you, your company, and Beyond Meat. So absolutely, thanks thanks for thanks for being here. Well, and thank you to the Beyond Meat team. They're a spectacular team. They did all of the work. I got I got to sit back and watch the ride so but thank you for having me on i really appreciate it and thanks to everyone for listening and please hit that subscribe button and give this show a quick rating i'm seeing way too little tlc from you out there i know how many of you are listening so if you have a split second and enjoy the show please give it a quick rating this podcast is brought to you by finian the brand consultancy creating strategic verbal and visual brand clarity you can learn more about finian and download free white papers to support your own brand launch at finian.com the hitting the mark theme music was written and produced by happiness one i will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark. <laughs>